This is a Can BDA Youth Collective podcast, a youth ministry podcast dedicated to resourcing Christ-centered, others-focused disciples. Hello, everyone. Welcome again to the Canon Bermuda Youth Collective Podcast. As always, we're so excited that you've decided to join us for another episode. We are committed to the idea of creating Christ-centered, others-focused disciples and resourcing you, the frontline youth worker, to do that as effectively as possible. So we're so pleased to be able to present today a conversation with Dr. Marv Penner, who joined us a few weeks ago to discuss the idea of mental health and resilience in youth ministry in these days. We know that mental health is something that we need to be aware of in our ministries. And Dr. Marv does an excellent job of providing resources, context, and direction for you, the youth worker, to help any of our young people journey through the challenges they might be facing. So we hope that you'll enjoy this conversation. Uh, we're going to jump right in. Your first voice you'll hear is that of Kevin Sluice, our Territorial Director of Discipleship, as he gives an introduction to Marv. And we hope that you'll sit back and enjoy the conversation. I'll be here again at the back end to say goodbye. But for now, we hope that you enjoy. Uh, I can't think of a better person to have this conversation with, really, than, than Marv. Uh, I've got a chance to get to know Marv uh, over the last num- few years and uh, sit under his uh, mentoring and his teaching. And uh, I think that this is going to be a, a, great, uh, a great time for us to really gain that pers- perspective and uh, also help our kids, the kids that we work with, the families that we work with, uh, have a new perspective in this time as well. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with who Marv is, um, let me give you a little bit of what uh, he, he is all about. Uh, he's the founder and president of All About Youth in Canada. He's the executive director of the Coalition for Youth Ministry Excellence, which is uh, centered in Lake Country, BC. Uh, he's an associate staff member at the Center for Parent and Youth Understanding. Um, and he just loves equipping, encouraging, and empowering parents, uh, young leaders, and frontline youth workers, both vocational and volunteer. Uh, he spent just about five decades uh, working with students and families and comes with a wealth of knowledge. Uh, he's the author of six books, including The Youth Worker's Guide to Parent Ministry, Help My Kids Are Hurting, Hope and Healing for Kids Who Cut, uh, and most recently, Building and Mobilizing Teams. Uh, Marv is a licensed marriage and family therapist who specializes in parent and adolescent conflict resolution, sexual abuse recovery, self-injury, eating disorders, marriage and family issues. And so um, I can't think uh, of anybody better to have this conversation with. And uh, the times that we've been able to engage in ministry together, uh, you just see his heart uh, for the next generation and their families and the leaders who work with them. Um, and so, Marv, just thanks for taking this time this evening uh, to jump in and have this conversation with us. Yeah, thanks very much, Kevin. Uh, I should I should probably say that uh, after that ridiculous introduction, um, pretty much anything that I've learned that's valuable and practical, uh, I've learned from my wife. Uh, and, uh, and so she's a little nervous to speak on camera. Uh, so she just feeds me what I need to say. Uh, and, uh, she's a way better parent than I probably a better youth worker than I am. Uh, so if anything seems practical or helpful today, probably came from her. Awesome. Well said. I, well I, said. I, I know what that's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, we've, we've had some conversations recently, actually, Marv in, uh, this season. Uh, it's an odd season for everybody. And, uh, you know, we, we're looking at the sense that, you know, even uh, as we were talking about um, with our team about mental health issues and, and that kind of thing, I said, like, let's get in touch with Marv. Uh, he's got a lot of experience talking with and, and dealing with families and, and ministering to kids in this way. Uh, so how do we how do we do that? And um, we just wanted to jump in and see, you know, how can we leverage this time? Uh, there's a lot of youth workers yeah. out there um, who probably care about these issues, but maybe haven't had to face them as closely as we have since COVID came about. And now they're realizing, oh, their own kids, maybe their own selves. 
uh, are really, it's hitting closer to home in terms of how do I deal with issues in mental health? How do I uh, recognize those issues? And what can we do to minister and come alongside kids and families uh, during this time? Yeah, um, those are those are crucial questions and questions that I face uh, in my counseling practice uh, on a week by week basis. Uh, I'm dealing with families every day that are um, trying to figure out what to do with kids who are uh, living with anxiety that seems to be at a whole new level, uh, living with loneliness and depression, uh, living with confusion, um, and uh, and frankly, uh, a lot of grieving uh, over the losses that a lot of kids are experiencing. So uh, for athletes, um, they're grieving the loss of uh, a season of basketball or football or whatever. Uh, for grads, they're grieving the loss of their graduating year and uh, all of the pomp and circumstance that goes with that. Uh, so uh, so it, it feels as though it's easy for us to focus uh, on all of the things uh, that are painful and negative. Uh, but there's a couple of things that I think we need to keep in mind as we do this. Uh, the first of those uh, is that um, the uh, the rapid increase in some of those issues around uh, emotional and relational well-being. So things like uh, anxiety, depression, um, you know, suicidal tendencies, that sort of thing. Uh, most of those issues had been ramping up dramatically uh, long before uh, COVID hit. Uh, and so uh, from about um, uh, 2009 or 10, uh, we've been seeing a dramatic increase in a lot of these issues that, uh, you know, tend to be uh, categorized under the umbrella of adolescent mental health issues. Uh, and so, for example, uh, from the 1980s until about 2010, uh, adolescent suicide statistics were relatively stable. They were they were pretty much flat. Uh, about 2009, they began to increase to the point uh, where in the most recent uh you know, research that's been done, uh, our adolescent suicide stats uh, have doubled since 2009. Uh, and the most dramatic increase by far uh, is uh, in the category of early and mid-adolescent girls. Uh, and so, you know, lots of increases in that stuff. And of course, with COVID now, we're going, well, it must be because of COVID. Uh, but, but there's a couple of things that uh, were beginning uh, to fuel that change in uh, the, uh, the well-being of kids prior to that. Uh, and, you know, I, I happen to be uh, of the mindset that it's no coincidence that smartphones came into the hands of kids around 2010, uh, which absolutely changed their worlds, especially the worlds of adolescent girls. Uh, and uh, and so, you know, I mean, uh, people are uh, are cautious about making causal links to that sort of thing. But there certainly uh, is a clear correlation. Uh, and so uh, the issue of, of adolescent emotional relational well-being uh, is way more complicated than COVID. Uh, we need to recognize that. The second thing that I just want to just say to put this into perspective uh, is that um, COVID's not all bad news. Uh, the fact of the matter is uh, that COVID has given us some opportunities uh, and, you know, I mean, it's not as common as families who are kind of raising the white flag and saying, what do we do? Uh, but I am hearing from plenty of families who are saying, we've never had a better time together as a family. We're spending more time together. We're having meals together more consistently. We're having great conversations. We're playing board games. We're going for walks. Uh, our little bubble uh, is a pretty happy place. Uh, and so uh, let's not all just wring our hands about how awful this is. Uh, the truth of the matter is that, uh, you know, there are people who are actually leveraging this thing uh, for the good of their family. And if I can just add one more thing, Kevin, I'll throw it back to you then. Yeah. Um, you know, um, and, and that is that um, one of the things that we've learned uh, through this past year is that the essential needs of an adolescent have not changed. Uh, what kids are looking for is they're looking for meaningful relationship, meaningful connection. Uh, they're looking uh, for a life that has some sort of direction or purpose or significance. Uh, and they're looking uh, to find affirmation uh, for things in their lives other than just their performance or achievement. Uh, they uh, they want to know uh, that uh, as they develop uh, character traits of kindness and compassion and patience and humility, 
humility and uh, those things that we read about, you know, the fruit of the spirit, those kinds of things. Uh, it's still as meaningful as it's ever been uh, to notice and affirm those things in the lives of our kids. And I love the way our families and our churches have pivoted and said, okay, we know that those needs haven't changed. So that means the outcome of what we do still remains the same. We want to create community. We want to create meaningful conversation. Uh, we, uh, we want to find ways to connect kids with one another. Uh, we want to find ways to connect kids with adults in their lives. Uh, as wonderful as the family is, uh, kids still need a non-parental adult who's in their corner, uh, who knows them well and who's walking with them uh, during the complexity of those adolescent years. Uh, all of that stuff uh, can happen really meaningfully uh, in uh, within the parameters that we're working with now. And in many cases it is, and where it is, it's great news. Uh, so uh, so let, let's not just wring our hands. Uh, it's not all bad news right now. No, that's, that's so good. And, and it's encouraging to hear that as well, um, because, you know, you want, that's what we want for kids and, and families. And actually, you know, we've, we've sensed some of that as, as well in our ministry settings, um, to be able to say that, yeah, there is this sense of like, Hey, we're, we're having meals together that we weren't having before, or, you know, that, that, that time is being spent, uh, together. And so that, that's great. Um, uh, can I just add one yeah, thing? Kim? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, there are two words that have sort of been fueling my thoughts on parenting adolescents lately. Uh, and the two words are intentionality mm -hmm. and enjoyment. Um, so intentionality means that we are actually parenting and leading. And this is, you know, in, in all of our ministries, whether we're in youth ministry or, uh, you know, um, doing student leadership with kids or whatever, intentionality is actually the key. So just having more meals together doesn't actually do anything for anybody's well-being unless those meals are being used intentionally to have meaningful conversation, to have laughter, to teach kids new skills. Uh, you know, how fun is that? I know one family uh, that has three teenagers and a mom and a dad. Uh, and what they've done is they've just uh, five days a week, uh, they take turns making the supper meal. Uh, and uh, so, you know, on Tuesday night, uh, it's 17 year old Josh's turn to make dinner. Uh, and so most Tuesday nights they have mac and cheese, which is great. Uh, but, um, but you know, the, the kids are learning new skills. There's an intentionality about it is what I'm saying. And then the person who is making dinner is also responsible for bringing a meaningful discussion question to the meal. So you provided the meal and a great question to get us talking. Uh, and this family is finding that this is just, just opening up things that they've never even imagined. Uh, in in their family, so intentionality is is number one, and then enjoyment is the other. Uh, you know, instead of rolling our eyes as adults in the lives of teenagers, going, "Oh, this is going to be the worst thing ever." Can you imagine another two months of being locked down, or another two weeks, or whatever? Uh, but what if what if we actually got thinking about enjoying our kids uh, and enjoying the laughter and enjoying the chaos a little bit? Yeah, you got teenagers going to be chaotic. Uh, and even for youth workers, instead of going, oh, man, none of our plan A's are working, what would happen if we just started to enjoy plan B uh, mm -hmm. and said, uh, you know, there, there's lots to enjoy here. Uh, so uh, intentionality, you know, why are we doing this? Are we doing it with purpose? Are we doing it with, with outcomes in mind? And then enjoyment. Let's make this fun instead of drudgery. Uh, instead of counting the days till this is over, we'll finally be free. Let's go, man we may still have a couple of weeks that we can do this and take advantage of it and really enjoy it. Yeah. It's leveraging the time uh, as a time of growth and, and uh, that sense that, yeah, this is, this is an area at a time that gives us opportunities that really when life is so busy and we're going in separate directions, sometimes yeah. you just don't get. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Like when you, you mentioned there, uh, as you're you're going through that, I thought about the idea of as people have asked us a lot about the state of of youth and children's ministry over the last year across Canada and Bermuda, and I, I always give this response, and I believe it that uh, the idea of leveraging what COVID opportunities were given to us, the idea that we started doing less but accomplishing more, right? You know, we, we we're definitely doing less, 
but we are, I believe, accomplishing so much more than we did before. It, it leads into that intentionality point that, that you're describing. Mm. And I guess the, the challenge would be, how do we help our, our young people have that sort of resilient mindset, that resilient perspective? Right. You know, I, you've touched on some great points there, and I don't know if there's anything else you can share that way, but how do we help our, our young people see it, this realize, yeah, I maybe do, I'm doing less or I'm able to do less, but maybe I can accomplish more. What is the right. seed that God has planted in my life? Or how do, how do we help even parents who have trouble getting to that point? Uh, mm-hmm. you know, right. How do we get people to kind of adapt that mindset to our circumstances? Not that we pretend everything is fine and there's no trouble. That's not healthy either. Right. But the idea of that God is still involved in all of this. How do we, how do we move that forward, do you think? Yeah, that, you're, you're asking some real important questions. And the truth of the matter is that uh, you know, as positive as we can be about this, and you know, I've tried to be positive. It sounds like uh, you know most of you are too. Uh, there are some realities that we need to take into account, and that is that uh, life is stressful uh, for families and for adolescents. There are financial stresses uh, that a lot of our families are are living with. There's uncertainty, uh, and uh, and one of the core components uh, of of stress uh, is anxiety, uncertainty, uh, and. Uh, uh, and and certainly we've had plenty of that and, you know, lots of that's going on for our kids. Uh, and so you ask about resilience. Uh, let me just uh, frame this if I can, because uh, I've been doing a lot of uh, really careful thinking and research and reading uh, on the issue of resilience uh, in, uh, in the last six months or so. Uh, and I've come to believe that resilience may be the missing component Uh, in our adolescent mental health dilemma that we seem to be facing right now. Uh, And and so um, I I began to to unpack the notion of resilience, and uh, I've come up with a little bit of a a simple definition of resilience, uh, and uh, and the words are chosen carefully. Uh, So I would define resilience as a cultivated mindset uh, or a learned mindset that allows an individual to bounce back from hardship, pain, loss, or critique. And if that individual who is learning resilience in the midst of hardship uh, actually has a teachable spirit as well, then those experiences of pain and hardship and loss and critique can actually become a springboard to maturity and growth and development. Now, to put this into a theological perspective, uh, it's real clear if you read the book of James, uh, the first chapter, uh, that this notion of welcoming hardship as an opportunity for growth and learning uh, is really central uh, to uh, to James's teaching in the first chapter. We also see it uh, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, uh, where God is spoken of as a father compared to an earthly father, uh, and the idea that earthly fathers uh, actually accompany their children through times of hardship uh, and uh, and use those times uh, as a form of discipline. Uh, the root word of discipline is the same as the root word of disciple. Uh, and, and so hardship becomes a context uh, in which learning can occur. Now, uh, in order to understand resilience as a cultivated mindset, we need to back it up just a little bit and recognize that a precursor to resilience is an experience of stress or hardship or loss. All right. So um, those are the things we, we run from, right? I'm sorry. Those are the things we run from. Exactly. And, so and those our, are the things we often shield our kids from. And our culture is, has aversion to as well and does everything. Right. Anything, yeah. anything to diminish the pain in one's life. In fact, mm. um, you know, uh, the, the parent generation that are uh, that are parenting adolescents right now has been described by some uh, as the generation that has prepared the road for their children instead of preparing their children for the road. Uh, and, uh, you know, I pray that that's not true of any who are listening today. Uh, but but it certainly is a temptation because we hate to see our kids in pain. We hate to see them experiencing hardship or stress. But here's the dilemma. When stress comes into a person's life, it's as though it brings them to a fork in the road where one path leads to resilience 
And the other path sadly leads to anxiety. So if you consider the fact that stress is not the enemy, stress is simply the catalyst, which will lead us to uh, either, uh, you know, a a response of helplessness uh, and anxiety, worst case scenario, uh, I I have no control over my future, uh, or it will point us toward resilience. And, and, and if we approach stress as not being the enemy, uh, then it really changes our mindset. We say, all right, is there something I can learn in these circumstances? Is there a way uh, that this situation can help me grow? So let me back it up just for a minute and talk about adolescent stress for a minute, because uh, we need to understand that adolescent stress is absolutely real, uh, and, uh, and it can be um, in you know, enormously burdensome for kids. So I want you to recognize that there are are three sort of forms of stress that our kids find themselves dealing with. The first of those forms of stress uh, is a form of stress that we would describe as being foreseeable and avoidable. So foreseeable and avoidable stress is something like taking your driver's test. Uh, or auditioning for a player, trying out for a team, or asking a girl on a date. Uh, You know, we know that if we do this, it's going to be stressful, and we can avoid it by just not doing it. Uh, And so foreseeable and avoidable stress uh, is uh, is one thing that, uh, as leaders and parents, we can talk through with our kids. Because for kids who run from foreseeable and avoidable stresses because they're afraid of failing, very often because they've been measured only in terms of achievement and success and performance. I'm not going to try this because if I fail, everyone around me will be disappointed. Instead, we need to encourage our kids when it comes to foreseeable and avoidable stress to make it an adventure. Take a flying leap. Try out for the play. You know, sing the solo. Uh, You know, lead worship in church. Uh, you know, ask the girl out if, you know, if it fits with your family rules and, you know, whatever is all around that complex uh, situation. So, um, so you know, let's encourage kids to stretch and grow by choosing uh, to take risks where they can. The second area uh, of, of stress that kids will face uh, is what we would call foreseeable and unavoidable stress. And so this would be something like as simple as a pop quiz in class. Uh, or as awful as a parent who has a terminal illness uh, and has three months to live. Uh, it, uh, it could be, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, it, it's foreseeable uh, and it's unavoidable. So final exams, uh, you know, uh, leaving home and going off to college. Uh, so those foreseeable and unavoidable stresses become a great opportunity for those of us who work with kids to help them learn how to prepare in advance. Uh, And again, preparation in advance when you know, okay, moving away from home and going off to college is going to be stressful. But if we do the appropriate preparation work, this can be a great opportunity for you not only to grow, but to learn to trust God in brand new ways. Uh, so it can have not only psychological and relational benefits, but but really significant spiritual benefits as well. Now, where we have our most difficult stresses is when we're dealing with the unforeseeable and unavoidable. Uh, this is the stress that blindsides you. This is dad just lost his job. Um, mom and dad are getting a divorce. Um, your friend just got killed in a car accident uh, and we just got word. Uh, now, obviously, those are those are tragic uh, and, and big. There's lots of smaller versions of that as well. You just got cut from the team. Uh, you thought you were going to provincials, but you're not going at all because you're off the team now. You know, so the unforeseeable, unavoidable, the blind side uh, kinds of stress. Now, let me say about that. The only way to help kids navigate unforeseeable and unavoidable stresses, and some of them are are consuming, they're paralyzing, they're they're huge. Uh, and because they're unforeseeable uh, and unavoidable, there's a helplessness to them uh, that uh, that just you know can paralyze kids in the moment. But here's where, if, and this is the biggest word I'm going to say in this whole presentation, if, 
if someone has a meaningful relationship with that kid, a relationship of trust and respect, mutual trust and respect, whether it's a parent or whether it's a coach or a band leader, uh, whether it's a, you know, a small group leader uh, or a Sunday school teacher, uh, you know, whoever that adult is in that life, when those kids experience that unforeseeable, unavoidable stress experience, now we have the opportunity to use the relationship that has been built in anticipation of these very moments. This is why we build relationships with kids. This is why we take them on band trips. This is why uh, we shoot hoops with them. This is why uh, we develop small groups. This is why we go on missions trips. This is why we have gym nights. Uh, you know, this is why families, you know, go on road trips uh, so that you can develop a relationship preemptively with these adolescents so that when the world collapses around them, they have someone that they can turn to. So, you know, that's why we're intentional as parents, as youth workers, as ministries. We want to be positioned so that when that tragic moment comes, uh, and they're picking themselves up on the off the floor. There is someone that they can turn to. So, you know, one of the one of the questions that I often ask youth leaders, uh, and there are plenty of youth leaders who are going to see this, I'm sure, is um, think about the kids in your ministry, in your you know music program, wherever you interact with kids. Think about the kids who, if they had a blindside tragedy in their life, think about the kids where you would be one of the first calls that they want to make. You know, are, are there are there any teenagers like that in your world? Uh, and if not, what can you do to position yourself in their lives, not intruding, not meddling, not, you know, getting in their face, but appropriately being present so that when that happens, they would go, oh, I know who I should call. It's my small group leader. I know who I want to talk to. And, and maybe it's my mom, but in many cases, it will be a non-parental adult, which is awesome. By the way, parents, I hope that you are unbelievably grateful for the youth workers in your kids' lives. Um, they need that non-parental non voice uh, to, to guide them through the time when they're kind of figure out their relationship with you and trying to establish themselves. Youth workers play a crucial role uh, at this stage. Uh, and uh, and we want to be available. So with foreseeable and avoidable, encourage your kids, uh, you know, to uh, uh, to take some risks and make life an adventure for the foreseeable and unavoidable preparation. Walk with them, prepare them, help them get the skills that they need and the perspective that they need to survive those stresses. And then for the unforeseeable and unavoidable, make sure that you're positioned in their lives so that you can point them toward resilience instead of watching them spiral toward anxiety uh, and uh, and lose their grip. So uh, that was probably a bigger answer than you were asking for. But as you can probably tell, I get a little excited about this stuff. Uh, and uh, it's kind so, of hard to slow down. So good. So good. So, I, yeah, so practical. No, no. That's I didn't want to. I didn't want to hug the time, but I guess no. I'm the only guest. So well, you're the only guest, you know. I guess maybe I, 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 I want I want to encourage the people out there. I have, you know, I had a circumstance that you're describing this idea of unforeseeable and uncontrollable, uh, um, unavoidable and unforeseeable stress. Yeah. Uh, you know, you don't know the connection you had. We had a when we were stationed at a church in Mississauga, uh, pastoring there. And I had this young boy who came to our after-school club, somewhat connected into our church program, but he had disappeared mm -hmm. for a couple of years, and I hadn't heard from them. And out of nowhere, I get a phone call, and he says, you know, Terrence, this is, you know, person X, so I won't say their name. And he said, my dad just died. Wow. You know, just, you know, his dad was younger, you know, there was no reason for that, and it was exact case of what you're describing, but we hadn't even been in conversation maybe for a year and a half, maybe two years, but right. that connection was made. And he, that's where he turned. He turned back to the church. He turned back to me as someone who was not a non-parental figure in this season. So just to say to people, you don't yeah. even know how, so pour yourself into that. Don't, don't, don't think you're not doing that. Don't think that you're not making a difference because uh, there's a lot of opportunity where that's happening. Even when you don't, you know, you don't see it. Right. So. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So good. So good. So practical and, and not necessary to have necessarily a program attached to it. Like this is stuff that we can do just by oh. living, living the gospel, right? right? Being who God's called us to be. You know, uh, the key word in working with teenagers is just be present. Yeah. Just be fully, put your phone away, make eye contact, feedback to the kid, what you're hearing, you know, is this what I'm hearing? Tell me more. Uh, it's just being present. Mm. Uh, and that is such a rare thing for kids to experience. It almost catches them by surprise. They're like, whoa, this person is listening to me. They actually care about me. Uh, you will be an exception in their world if you simply are present. Now, the reason that we have structures in our ministries, the reason that we do retreats and trips and mission trips and, you know, even small group is not because we're so scintillating uh, and so exciting and so creative in what we do, but because that's the context in which bridges are built. So Terrence, when you're talking about uh, that youngster that you were um, available to, uh, it's because you had shared experiences with them uh, and, uh, and they had gotten to know you as an authentic human being that was trustworthy uh, in times of trouble. You represented everything that was good about the gospel in their lives. Uh, and that gave you the privilege then. And I can only imagine, even as you're telling the story, Terrence, I can hear you just with such a spirit of gratitude that, uh, that a, a guy would trust you enough to reach out uh, and, and ask you to walk with him during this time. I mean, what a gift that is. When teenagers trust us, it is the ultimate gift for a teenager to give an adult uh, is the gift of trust. They don't give it easily. And when they do, um, we need to cherish it and protect it uh, and honor it and recognize it for the significant gift that it is. Now, Marv, we were saying uh, when we chatted earlier today to prepare for this, I was sharing the story. I'll tell everybody else that I'd only met Marv once before in my life. And it was at a youth conference in um, Vancouver at a book table. And I was had one of Marv's books up in my hand. And from behind my shoulder, I hear this voice saying, that's a very good book. You should buy it. And when I turned around, here was here was Marv, the author of the book, telling me that it's a good book and I should buy it. And I, it was the a hope for kids who cut. Uh, book, um, uh-huh. yeah, and and uh, very good book. If you don't have it, I would recommend that you do get it. It was worth whatever money I paid for it, um, and that was the first time I met you. But that just segues into the question, you know, maybe some some advice for us and for our youth workers out there. What about those situations where this is not going well? Right. You know, when they're when they're not handling the stress well. You know, we we know all these great things, but you know, it's gone off the rails for whatever reason. You know, can you offer some guidance both in in identifying and also, you know, providing the the comfort and guidance, the safety that's needed when some kids are off the rails, unfortunately, because of these stresses and are in difficult situations and right and they need help. You know, right? Yeah, that's uh, that's that's so important, uh, and I, I appreciate the opportunity uh, to speak to that. And and one of the realities that we are living with these days. Uh, is that for a lot of kids, anxiety is a very real experience. Uh, it's terrifying. Uh, in some cases, it's paralyzing. Uh, and so we need to recognize it uh, for what it is. Um, but I do want to clarify something that's really important for us. Uh, and that is that uh, anxiety uh, is not uh, an emotional or physiological issue. Uh, and so we we say, you know, anxiety is uh, an emotional or an affective disorder. Uh, but we need to clarify here that anxiety is a disorder that expresses itself in emotional and often physiological ways. And those emotional and physiological um, outcomes of anxiety uh, are very, very real. Uh, and so, um, you know, the, the first thing we need to do uh, is not blow this off as some, you know, desire for attention or some, you know, overinflated, uh, you know, kind of message that they're trying to send, just trying to get attention. Um, it, it is it is very real. But the, the, the distinction that I'm making and, and it's, it's more than splitting hairs. So let me let me be clear on this. Anxiety is actually a, a way of thinking. Anxiety is a way of thinking that expresses itself in emotional and physiological ways. 
And so when we're dealing with kids who are anxious, we have the option of simply trying to manage the symptomology or to address the deeper issue, which has to do with the way kids are thinking. Uh, And here again, uh, there's a strong theological case to be made for this, and I, I won't take you down that path because of the, the time constraints that we're on here, nor do I want it to sound like there's a cliched little Bible verse band-aid that we can put on anxiety. That would be the worst thing that we can do. But uh, the scripture does remind us on numerous occasions uh, that uh, God wants to transform the way we think. Uh, and so Uh, our relationship with him should have its most profound impact on our thinking. Uh, You know, you know, don't be uh, caught up in the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul says uh, in Romans 12, uh, you know, taking every thought captive, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Uh, You know, so the idea of the mind being transformed. uh, So, um, so when we're dealing with anxiety, Uh, what we want to do is challenge the thinking. And the thinking that drives anxiety is that um, uh, the outcomes of my situation are completely out of my control. That may or may not be true. In some cases, um, that is true. In many cases, it's not. Uh, That um, likely what will happen is the worst possible thing that could happen, and I can't do anything to change that outcome. And so, therefore, I am helplessly being pulled into the vortex, uh, you know, into the into the whirlpool of anxiety. And for those who are caught in that whirlpool, uh, that's as fitting a metaphor as they'll describe. It's my mind is swirling. Uh, it's coming back to the same thing again. And each time it becomes, um, you know, less hopeful, more hopeless. Uh, and uh, this worst case scenario that I've become fixated on has now become a reality for me. And I'm no longer even thinking about the situation, but I'm thinking about what will happen when that worst case outcome, uh, you know, actually is realized. Uh, and so, you know, while I do think that there are times we need to manage the symptomology, and certainly if there's physiological uh, or acute psychological symptomology that's going on, I have no problem uh, with managing that symptomology as long as we recognize that that's not going to be a long-term solution, uh, that that may be a means to an end. So having said that, uh, I want to just be very, very clear that if as a youth worker, as a parent, as a ministry leader, you know, whatever your role happens to be, if you're dealing with a kid who is in that whirlpool, that vortex Uh, of anxiety or on that downward skid of depression uh, where uh, where it just feels like things are getting darker and bleaker every day and there doesn't seem to be any way to turn that around, please, please seek appropriate professional help. Now, um, you know, make sure that uh, you've got somebody in your world, somebody in your orbit. Those of you who are youth workers should know the name uh, of a couple of good medical doctors, a couple of good psychologists, counselors, social workers that you can call. You should have, you know, a list of those in your phone because you always, you know, need them at a moment's notice. Uh, and um, and and don't hesitate um, to uh, to ask for some help. Uh, you know, as as a clinical counselor. Um, I'm, I'm often called by parents, you know, here's the situation with my kid. Uh, would you be willing to work with them? And the answer is of course, yes. Uh, and uh, I'm just a regular guy. I'm, you know, there's no stigma associated with this. Here's where the problem is. Parents don't usually call me until it's way too late. Parents call me after their kids made their first suicide attempt. I'm going like, how long have you seen this coming? Oh yeah. It's been coming for about a year. Oh, my goodness. If we had talked about this a year ago, it would have been so much easier to deal with it than it is now. So my point is simply this. If you do need to call on a counselor, uh, you know, if you if you need to you know, call on the big guns, then do that sooner rather than later. By the way, for any of you who are married, same thing. If your marriage is going down the toilet, uh, man, call somebody for help before it's done uh, and uh, and recognize that, um, you know, when you've got somebody working with you, 
uh, dealing with the more complex issues. There's always a story that's complex uh, in these situations. Then what you can do is you can go back to being present, which is what God has called you to do. Remember, um, as youth workers, we are not called, I'm speaking to the youth workers here now, we're not called to be therapists. Uh, we're not called to be medical doctors. We're called to be shepherds. We're called to be shepherds. And that means, you know, walking with the flock, making sure they're getting the nourishment they need, uh, protecting them, you know, when they need protection, uh, you know, binding up their wounds when you can, getting them, you know, help at the vet if they need it. Uh, and and so um, if you can uh, avoid the, the, the pressure uh, or maybe even the feeling of responsibility or obligation to carry things that you're not equipped or prepared to carry, uh, and you can hand those off to somebody that you trust uh, who can manage that. Uh, and then that you can just go back to being an encourager, uh, being present in their lives, uh, praying for them, making sure that they're plugged into community. Um, I have yet to see a kid find their way out of depression or anxiety without a meaningful community around them. This is not a solo thing. It's got to be done in community. And again, Thank you, youth workers who provide community. I love it when I'm working uh, with an adolescent who is, you know, self-harming or um, ideating about suicide or maybe even attempted suicide. And I can say, are you part of a youth group? And usually what they'll say is, well, you know, I have been in the past, but I've kind of let it go. I haven't been there much. You need to get back to it. Can I call your small group leader? Can I call your youth worker and let them know that you're coming back and how important it is for you to be plugged into community now? Uh, and between a professional who can help them through the deepest, darkest times, possibly even, I know that I'm walking on thin ice here, possibly even the, the, the need for medication uh, as a means of stabilizing things so that we can deal with the issues that are actually going on. Um, and, and so you've got someone who is medically or psychologically trained, you are providing presence and you are plugging those folks into meaningful community where they're going to be welcomed, where they're going to be loved, where they're going to know that they have a contribution to make, um, man, that triple punch, uh, of, uh, a professional help. Uh, the presence of a non-parental or parental adult in their lives and healthy community, man, that'll give you your best shot uh, at pulling kids out of a depressive dive uh, or rescuing them from the, the whirlpool of anxiety. Uh, so those three things, and, and we can do that stuff. You know, we're, it's just, it's just actually activating what's already there. Uh, so let's be doing that. Does that make sense? Perfect sense. Yeah, it makes good sense. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it would it would help us uh, youth workers not uh, not fall, not not get in over our heads uh, in areas where you know we're like, oh, what do I do here? And you try they're they're trying to be something that we're not, like you said, equipped or called to be. Right. You know, let us let us do that well, and let us network and partner with those who need to do those other pieces well. Right. Yeah, let me just, yeah, it's so good. Let me say one sentence, um, to, to, especially to youth workers. When you refer someone, it is not because you have failed in your ministry role. It's because you love that teenager so much that you want to ensure that they get the very best help that they can get. And so referral is always an act of love, not an indication of failure. Uh, and if you can just reframe that, it's not that you've, you know, and, and even, uh, you know, language of, of, you know, I was floundering, I was out of my depth, that kind of, no, you were never meant to be there in the first place. Um, you're, you're there to provide presence and to provide healthy community. Um, you know, let those of us who have gone to school for way too long, uh, deal with some of this other stuff. Uh, and when we work in partnership, man, we've, we've got some stuff that we can offer. It's great. It's great. It, uh, a lot of what you're talking about, I mean, it, you know, this is going to sound sort of like a plug in some respects, but, uh, the language you're using just ties in so well with the new vision statement that was launched for the Salvation Army in our territory in terms of, you know, we're an innovative partner, 
mobilize to give hope wherever there's hardship, right? Like all those right. kinds wow. of pieces, like building communities who are just and who know the love of Jesus. So like, like it's um, that sense of just being that partner, giving hope uh, and, and wherever there's hardship and that sense of changing that perspective and um, helping build that resilience into kids' lives, uh, noticing where that is. And even just something, some of the simple cues you're saying, recognizing like what kind of anxiety, what kind of stresses are, is it that we're dealing with right? and being able to do that is, is just so helpful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, I think, you know, if you were to look at, at, at things, you know, and it really summarize uh, where we should be going in these days, because you're, you're not only, you know, as you say, a marriage family therapist, and all those things, you're also involved in the, the coalition for youth, youth ministry and, and, and training. And I'd love to hear from you just as yeah. someone who's a leader and someone who is, is, is blazing trails in many ways and uh, a mentor to many, you yeah. know, what has God placed on your heart in these days for the future of, of children and youth ministry, particularly in Canada, but, you know, globally, what's God saying to you these days? Yeah. You know, if you hung around with me for more than a few minutes, you would hear me say this statement, the most significant spiritual responsibility of any generation is the spiritual well-being of the generation that follows. Hmm. I, I cannot emphasize that strongly enough. Our primary responsibility is the spiritual well-being of the generation that follows us. So whether we're uh, as parents or whether we're as church leaders, uh, whether we're functioning as youth leaders, small group leaders, uh, whatever our role is in that sequence, this idea of God's plan A for uh, evangelism and discipleship was that faith would be passed from one generation to the next. Uh, and whether that takes place in our homes uh, or in our faith communities, the idea of taking seriously this notion of passing faith to the next generation and being intentional about it, we cannot assume that it's going to happen automatically. Um, you know, the, the conversations that I have with parents most often are, you know, we just assumed that our kids would follow in our footsteps. Again, that notion of intentionality uh, in terms of passing faith to the next generation, because I do believe uh, that uh, adolescents who had their feet firmly planted uh, on the rock, uh, if you if you want to use that uh, kind of metaphor, uh, if uh, if they're uh, and I don't mean Newfoundland uh, for those of you <laughs> in the army, uh, although that probably helps, but but kids kids whose lives are rooted in the gospel actually do fare better uh, in terms of dealing with stresses uh, because they recognize that stresses are not fatal. Uh, that that stresses are an opportunity, uh, that this is a place where I can learn to trust God more deeply, uh, where I can learn things about myself more fully. Uh, this is a place where I can develop some new skills, uh, some uh, some new ways of dealing uh, with the reality of life. I mean, here's here's the deal. And, and Terrence, both you and Kevin know this uh, as, as well as I do. When, when Paul describes the world that we live in uh, as a world that's groaning under the weight of sin, groaning in anticipation of redemption, um, you know, that's not just an idle, um, you know, euphemism or, um, you know, exaggeration. The world is groaning. Uh, and it feels to me, uh, and, you know, like you said at the beginning, I've been doing this uh, for 50 years in April. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm coming up to my 50th anniversary of, of ministry working with teenagers. Uh, and um, uh, and, and I, I would say that the groaning is becoming more pronounced. Uh, as I look back over these uh, 50 years of, of watching kids, boy, it feels like it is more complex now uh, than it ever has been. Uh, and and so um, with the groaning becoming very realistic, um, we need to become that much more intentional uh, about creating those safe spaces for families, uh, about removing the stigma of not being perfect, uh, about recognizing that our faith communities uh, are, are meant to be uh, places where broken people come together uh, and support one another in the midst of the hard reality uh, of life in this groaning sinful world uh, and that there is redemption. Uh, and, uh, and so again, intentionality and doing it with a smile on our face, that enjoyment piece 
uh, is still a big part of this. And uh, uh, and so, uh, yeah, how how are we measuring the effectiveness of our ministries? Um, are, are we saying we've got a bunch of content adults or are we saying that we've got a bunch of children and adolescents who are being confronted by the claims of the gospel and are recognizing that it's actually the only path through. Mm. Mm, good. It's really good. Great. Mic drop. You know, and I know you wouldn't be a, a person who is about pushing their own agenda or their own brand or anything like that. So I understand that, but you know, is how, how would people out here who have, have listened now and who will listen to this, uh, you know, if they want to connect more with your teaching or with your resources or with your ministry, you know, how do they find you? Where do they find you so yeah. that they can tap into what God's doing in your life as well? Well, thank you. Um, certainly the, the books that I've written are all published uh, by Zondervan or Standard Publishing. They're available at Amazon. Uh, and so if someone's interested in a particular uh, area that I've written in, uh, they can get uh, they can get that stuff there. Uh, as, uh, as far as, um, as the, the training work that I'm doing now, given the fact that youth ministry has never been more complex than it is now. I mean, when I started, we just thought if we could come up with a good new duct tape game, uh, and a good Bible story on one of the parables that Jesus taught, we'd be, we'd be off to the races. Now we're dealing with self-harm and we're dealing with drug overdoses and we're dealing with gender issues and, uh, we're dealing, uh, with, complex political divisions and family breakdown at new levels uh, and, and so on. So um, we've recognized that those of us who are in leadership positions in youth ministry uh, probably need a little more by way of training. Uh, and that was the reason that uh, that a few years ago we established the Coalition for Youth Ministry Excellence, which is uh, an apprenticeship-based training program uh, where our students stay in their ministry context, wherever they are across Canada, uh, and uh, and we gather uh, eight times over the course of two years uh, to be trained by some of um, the most forward thinking youth ministry writers and thinkers of our day. Uh, and uh, so uh, eight one week intensive classes uh, where we're trained for, you know, 21st century youth ministry. Uh, it's a different deal. We don't have any courses on how to play great games with kids. Uh, we don't uh, have great courses even on, you know, how to do good fundraisers or, you know, even how to do a good missions trip. Um, we have courses in understanding contemporary worldviews uh, and conversational apologetics. We have courses in thinking theologically about youth ministry. Uh, I teach my course in uh, counseling adolescents and their families. Uh, we talk about issues in adolescent faith formation because those are the issues that we're dealing with in youth ministry today, uh, and um, and and we need we need to train up uh, a, a new generation of youth leaders who are um, discipleship specialists in a complicated world, uh, and uh, all of that can be accessed at uh, www dot com. Um, but, um, listen, um, I'm just honored that after all these years, I still get the opportunity, uh, to come alongside, um, youth workers and parents and encourage them. Hey, listen, if, if I can get one last word in here, it would simply be that what you do matter, uh, what you do matters, Mo moms and dads. Um, there's no more significant voice in the life of your teenager than yours, uh, youth workers, your willingness to accompany adolescents during the sometimes confusing time where kids are trying to let go of their family of origin and establish themselves, for you to be that steady voice during those years where they're trying to figure all that out, renegotiating their relationship with their parents as adolescents, for you to be there, for you to be uh, a representation of Jesus and the gospel in their lives, um, wow. There is no more significant role that you could have. Uh, and uh, I just want to say thank you, um, moms and dads who are being intentional about uh, raising your kids, uh, you know, with with love and laughter and joy and pointing them to the gospel. Uh, youth leaders uh, who are sharing experiences uh, and encouraging kids, investing in uh, developing student leaders, um, helping them find what God created them for. Uh, you are my heroes, um, and I just want to say thank you. The investment that you're making uh, is bearing eternal dividends uh, and will continue to do so. 
uh, long before uh, it uh, it's over. I have to show you one thing uh, on my desk. Today was a really fun day. Um, I've got this rock on my desk, uh, and I don't know if you can see at the bottom. It says Kelly eighty eight. Um, Kelly uh, is fifty today. Um, she's uh, she's got three young adult children who are heading off to university. It's her birthday. Uh, she just turned fifty today, and she reached out to me uh, and uh, and just said, "Hey, you've always been my youth pastor. Uh, just want to say thanks." This this rock uh, has been sitting on my desk for however long ago eighty eight was. Uh, so I guess that's like I don't know thirty five years or something. It's it's been on my desk because um, because Kelly. Uh, is a kid that I had the privilege of walking with when she was in high school. Uh, and she loves Jesus and she's raising her kids to know and love Jesus. Uh, and um, youth workers, you know, this is what it's about. It's a long-term investment uh, and there's no greater joy. Mm. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thanks yeah. so much, Merv. Uh, yeah. And thanks for the investment that you have made and continue to make in, in the lives of uh, parents and youth workers, those who are investing in the lives of kids. Um, it's just, uh, it's remarkable uh, just seeing you in there for the long haul and, uh, and just still, still so in touch and um, relevant in, in your uh, knowledge and the way that you express it. And, and so we just uh, value that. So thanks so much for joining us tonight. It was honestly a pure pleasure for me. So I thank you for the opportunity and uh, we'll stay in touch. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's been wonderful. I, I got to have one more request of you before we just okay. sign off. I, it would be a great privilege if you would pray with us, oh, pray with, with the youth workers that are listening and, and the parents and, and so on and so forth. Please pray for us and that would be a great way to finish your time. I would be honored. Thank you. Heavenly Father, uh, we pause uh, today recognizing that um, the world in which you've called us to serve as parents, uh, as youth workers, as uh, as friends and colleagues uh, is a world uh, that desperately needs uh, the touch of your love. Uh, and in your wisdom, uh, you've chosen to deliver that love through earthen vessels like ourselves. Um, I think about my own journey as a parent uh, and recognize that in retrospect, there's so much uh, that I uh, would love to get a do-over on. Uh, and yet, uh, Father, in your goodness, uh, you've, uh, uh, you've, you've somehow used my fumbling parenting uh, as a way uh, of equipping a few kids for adulthood. And I just want to say thank you uh, and recognize that uh, there's really nothing about what I've done uh, that, uh, that is... Uh, is responsible for that, but only what you've done. And so, Father, I pray that uh, as parents, for those of us uh, whose kids are doing, you know, relatively well, uh, we wouldn't foolishly take credit for only uh, what you could do in their lives. And Father, by the same token, um, we don't want uh, to feel hopeless uh, about um, what only you can redeem. Um, and, and so, Father, we give our kids to you. Uh, I want to thank you for the youth workers uh, who faithfully uh, serve this next generation. Um, they pour in uh, with time and energy. Um, they buy the burgers. They buy the Cokes because uh, kids don't have any money. They spend the time uh, and uh, they share those experiences. And Father, I pray that you would honor them. At least give them a sense today that what they're doing has enormous significance. Uh, encourage them. I, I pray that there might even be uh, just a, a connection to a student that they've worked with uh, where they see that their investment uh, is actually making a difference. Um, Father, I pray uh, for the Salvation Army and for um, the, the beautiful way in which you've positioned them uh, across our country in Bermuda and across the world. Uh, Father, I thank you that um, they have been so intentional uh, about um, – caring about their reputation, uh, not in an arrogant or proud way, uh, but guarding the way they've done ministry in a way that has given them favor uh, in our communities. Uh, I just don't know anybody who doesn't look up and respect what the Salvation Army does uh, around the world. 
And so, Father, I think they're uniquely positioned in our communities uh, as as a as a faith uh, organization that's actually respected and appreciated and valued and that uh, communities are grateful for. I pray that you would allow them to use that uh, position of unusual favor in our communities as a way of representing you well. Um, thank you for the generous way in which they love. Um, I, I thank you for the clear way uh, in which they demonstrate what it means to walk in step with you. Uh, and I pray that you would continue to give them opportunities, continue to meet their uh, financial needs, um, you know, even during this time when some of the uh, typical ways of generating funds uh, have, uh, have, have not been possible. Uh, and I uh, just want to thank you for my brothers and sisters in this organization uh, and pray that you would use them with great effectiveness. For moms and dads, same thing. And for the teenagers that we represent, Father, would you raise up a generation of disciples uh, who will continue uh, to, um, to communicate your love to their generation. Uh, we commit them to you with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome back, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as we did. And I hope you gained as much from it as we did as well. All the information about our website, including links about today's show to resources and information about Dr. Penner can be found on canbdayouth.com. That's C-A-N-B-D-A-Youth.com. And so you can check that out. As always, we'd ask that you support the podcast by rating, reviewing, and recommending uh, the podcast on whatever mediums or network or platform you use to get your podcast content. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for all that you're doing to be creating Christ-centered, others-focused disciples in these days. God bless you, and we look forward to the next time we're together again on the Canada Bermuda Youth Collective Podcast.